Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now. Welcome to episode four of Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Before I even go into who our phenomenal guests are for today's episode, I just want to say thank you and give a big shout out to everybody who's been listening to the podcast, everybody who's been sending us tweets and just basically interacting. It really means a lot. And yeah, man, Africa State of Mind, it is the new movement. It is the new revolution. It's hosted by your girl, Lee Kasumba. Now, on today's episode, it is so exciting. We have two phenomenal guests. Like, literally, um, the first guest is somebody who's been a journalist for 36 years. Uh, he also has, in terms of access and proximity, he's got relationships with some of the wealthiest people within Africa. Nobody, and I mean nobody, understands the story of an African billionaire like my first guest. And of course, I'm talking about Chris Bishop. He is the founding editor of Forbes Africa. He's also um, the author of Africa's Billionaires, Inspirational Stories from the Continent's Wealthiest People. He's our first guest. If you want to find out exactly how it is like the mind of a billionaire works and find out all the interesting stories, this interview is exactly for you. And be sure to also make sure that you do um, pick up Chris Bishop's book. Africa State of Mind. Alrighty, so there's something that I've heard about the law of proximity. Apparently, if you're in the same room with somebody, you can have access to the same sort of things that they have. I certainly hope on this episode of Africa State of Mind, the person who I'm so excited to have as a guest is somebody who, because of the proximity of the people that they know, and because of all the amazing things that he's he's done, hopefully it's going to be able to rub off on me somehow, <laughs> somewhere. I'm so excited to have the founding editor of Forbes Africa and the author of Africa's Billionaires' Inspirational Stories from the Continent's Wealthiest People. Did I get that right? Yes, you did indeed. Perfect yeah. title, and I hope it'll rub off. 36 years of journalism, if not the art of being a billionaire. I, I, I'll take both. <laughs> I'll take both. Chris, welcome to the show. It's such an awesome, like, it's such a privilege to have you here. So Thank exciting. Thank you very much, and uh, it's, it's great to be here, and yeah. uh, it's great to see how the book's selling. I mean, we're doing about 3,500 copies. That's amazing. And, and it's incredible. I see people in there with their last pennies yeah. buying it, and I'll say, come on. I'll uh, I'll take it and I'll sign it yeah. for you. And they say, oh, it's you. Oh, so, well, lovely. You know. And especially at a time when, um, you know, when it comes to reading and all of that stuff, people aren't reading so much. But the, the book that you've decided to um, to write and have published is a very important book. Um, tell us about the thought process behind actually putting this book together. Well, in many ways, it was what uh, young people today call a no-brainer, really. Because, yeah. I mean, I had access, privileged access, mm-hmm. and myself and the magazine mm-hmm. to um, – to all these billionaires, all these big names, all these people who've done amazing things. And we, what we had was one-to-one interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, it wasn't, you know, something we read in the paper, something we got off the internet. It was all information from the horse's mouth. And that's yeah. what we had. And I thought about it again because you can still a room. Mm. When you talk about these guys, mm. when you when you start, when you mention their names, everyone shuts Everyone's up and like- stops <laughs> listening. I'm like, my gosh. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great um, to come up with a – we can get inside these guys' heads and find mm. out how they made the money and find out what is uh, really behind the money-making thing, which I believe, I mean, was it, uh, as I quoted the last line in the book, yeah. Nelson Mandela said, money won't make us free, but the freedom to make it will. I love that. I'm a great believer in That's that. And awesome. the fact this is the future of the continent. And I thought, well, this is a really good opportunity yeah. to dig in and 
give people great stories. And now, Chris, you've actually gone through like a thousand of my questions. I'm like, oh, there it goes. But it's all good. I just wanted to know, I actually wanted to first start out with this because somebody said to me, if you're speaking to him, you have to ask Chris Bishop, which three billionaires does he have on speed dial? <laughs> on speed dial. Well, actually, the person I do speak to regularly yeah. is number one is Mohammed Duji. Oh, lovely. Uh, in the from, youngest billionaire from Tanzania. The continent yeah. from Tanzania. Yeah. He's got a awesome. great story. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, he's a really mm. likable fellow. Yeah. You know, as I said in the book, mm. he's got no airs and graces. Yeah. I mean, I first met him at, um, uh, uh, one of the banks here was giving him money for investment mm. to increase his company. He employs something like 200,000 people in Dar es Salaam and he wanted a hundred million dollars to expand. Mm. And it's sad to say all the banks in Tanzania couldn't manage the loan. So wow. he came here. And, and he present. managed to get a loan. And there he was, bang, they, one bank gave it to him. You yeah. see, that's one thing you should never forget about this country. Yeah. There's still a lot of financial clout here. And anyway, but I, somebody said, oh, there's a billionaire there, you should come and meet. So, and I was looking around the room and I wasn't sure which one he mm. was, you know, because I say he looks like your, your younger brother's best mate. Yeah. You know, he's like a very humble guy, shakes hands with everybody. He's got no ears and graces. Yeah. So I like him. I speak to him a lot, Herman Mishaba. Oh, lovely. He may not be uh, a multi-billionaire these days. Now he's in public <laughs> service, but I always love talking to him. I yeah. thought he was a great story. Yeah. And somebody who's not a billionaire, who I thought was a very interesting story, is a guy called Tim Tabila. Okay. Uh, the, the, the mining guy. Yes, who, yes. Who, um, shame. I mean, he phoned me one night, as it says in the book, asking me to, if he can be on the cover. Oh, and, uh, I said, well, mate, you're going to be 200, 300 million minimum dollars. To get on the, yeah. yeah. To get on there, really, to be considered. And he says, no, no, I've got, I've got that much. So I said, well, let's have a look at your books. Mm-hmm. He said, okay. So we opened up his books. And then what happened was, um, uh, we went through his stuff and he only had 18, million dollars which mm. you and i would settle for yeah uh, i would be happy with this <laughs> exactly <laughs> but not, he yeah. didn't quite make he it but i mean he's got an yeah. incredible story you'll see that he yeah. grew up virtually barefoot yeah. in limpopo he sold apples on the streets and now he's quite a, a sizable businessman now let's let's just also track back a little bit to um mohammed from tanzania and just the fact that he's such a big uh, he's a philanthropist you know i really love that just reading about him in your book and just the stuff that he's doing um how important do you feel it is for the billionaires in africa to be philanthropists and to give back into the different communities especially because of you know the state that africa is in for the large part well i think a lot of them are doing it mm-hmm. it's just that we don't know i mean okay. um i think mohammed Duji, the one thing i like about him he grew up poor you know yeah. he, he was born in a rondafel mm. in uh, in a hut in the yeah. middle of tanzania his folks didn't have much money at the time his mm. dad made money with a um import and export business which mm-hmm. he built on to make it into the manufacturing behemoth that it is mm-hmm. and it's nice i mean he gives a lot of cash away he gives it's funny enough in our 30 under 30 this year mm. one of the people we chose as the best 30 under 30 entrepreneurs on the continent was one of his people that wow. came to him with an idea he sponsors entrepreneurs that's incredible and she's making it now like a sort of second generation mm. it, it's it's exhilarating i tell you at the best of times uh, editing forbes africa i can imagine and just now some some of the interviews that i can imagine that you've had some of the toughest um, interviews or scenarios that you've been in because I've heard like people depending on obviously the higher up you go to interview somebody the more interesting the stories will become in terms of I mean in terms of like just the protocol of getting to them or meeting them or having the conversation because a lot of times I assume that what we see is not what we get with certain people so who's been the most surprising person that you'd interview and people would be like you know you never thought that he would be that sort of character or she well somebody I mean who is uh 
may I say at the beginning, he's a gentleman with a capital G, yeah. is Nicky Oppenheimer. I mean, Lovely. his family is worth, what, seven, eight billion dollars. Yeah. But uh, I thought, I mean, I was interested in the history. I mean, his family's got quite an interesting history. I mean, his grandfather mm-hmm. came to this country with virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, he made his own way. They made this ma- massive manufacturing to beers, mm-hmm. an Anglo-American. And I thought it would be an interesting story. And he's... And Nicky Oppenheim is a very nice guy. Yeah. He's a very gentlemanly guy. But yeah. he said to me, he said, well, you know, a bit of a dull generation. Well, there's nobody in my class who was really... And funny enough, actually, the only time that uh, I saw him really getting excited is when he talked about his son who played cricket for the universities in England. And he yeah. got Brian Lara out. LBW oh, wow. for not. He said it was <laughs> LBW, Oppenheim and not. And he was like, yeah. he was. But all the rest of the time... He's fairly sort of uh, down, downplayed, you know, mm. and stuff. But I don't know. Some of the some of the guys are interesting. I mean, like even Aliko Dangoti. I mean, I mm. interviewed him in Lagos at yes. the Stock Exchange. That uh, must have been quite an experience. It was. Well, you saw we actually had <laughs> yes. to hunt the guy down, virtually ambush him because we had loads of appointments that kept yeah. falling off. You've got to understand, all these rich guys, they've got um, a plane. On, on standby, go, yeah. um, they're ready to go anywhere, anytime. And if somebody says, right, come to New York now to talk a billion dollar deal. They're gone. They're gone. And, they're like, what's you know, an interview? And money yeah. is money. You know, yeah. they, they get nothing out of these interviews. Yeah. But um, it's very kind of them to give them, by the way. Yeah. But essentially, I mean, with him, we had appointments. We tried to get to him. It was a real problem. Eventually, mm. we virtually doorstepped him mm. in the Nigerian Stock Exchange. Yeah. And he sat down, this very mild... Very sort of polite, very mm. quiet guy sat yeah. down and gave us a 20 minute interview, yeah. which we, which, which was is very quite good. a big thing, which is very good. Yeah. I mean, he gave us a lot of stuff. He guess how he started out about his family, how he went on, what his views were on entrepreneurs. I mean, he believes that Nigerians are like stormtroopers oh. in uh, the entrepreneurs of Africa. He said they're everywhere. And he was very excited, as you'll see in the book, yeah. very excited about the fact he went to Brazil on business yeah. and he had to go and get a shaver from somewhere. So he goes out and the and story walks into. It's owned by Nigerian. Yeah. He said, we're everywhere. This is a 60,000 Nigerians in Tanzania. Yeah. How many Tanzanians in Nigeria? We don't want to work for anybody. We are entrepreneurs, Amazing. you know. So, I mean, but it was great, you know. And again, meeting the guy, you know, you hear about him, you know, the grand shakes when he walks. But yeah. and there's this little guy you know you walk past him in the street yeah. you know so fascinating people that's amazing actually it reminds me i, I interviewed um charlene hunter gold a mm-hmm. while back and she mentioned a story similar to trying to interview um former president tabo Mbeki, and she literally said she waited at his house because yeah. eventually he kept leaving and coming and he says are you still here and like four days later he came back from zambia she's like are you still here she's he said to her she says i'm still here <laughs> and eventually you know and it's, it. it's just like yeah but also i do find that a lot of um in an african context people People are very, it's almost like it's inbred to not really show off about Mm. how much you have and all of that. And so a lot of people who may be billionaires or millionaires, you may not know about. But but then there's also the other extreme where people have a, how do I say, Trumpism about them. So they'll Mm. over-exaggerate what it is that they really have. Well, what you get, you say, what we get is a lot of people who want to be on the cover who are not really... Up to it, you know, those are the ones you have to bat away. We don't do, people don't seem to get this, we don't do CEOs, Mm. we don't do CFOs, we don't do people doing jobs, we only do entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. We have to, they have to have a face that's recognizable outside Mm -hmm. their own country. They have to have a good story to tell. 
rags to riches usually, mm. and they have to have at least two, three hundred million dollars mm. at least mm. before we consider them. And a lot of so the people we want sometimes they play a bit hard to get, but the people we don't want they mm. seem to come all the time. But what I'm saying is is that um, I think it's important getting these guys on the cover. I think it's a major footprint for this continent because before Forbes Africa started, everyone was talking about Trump, as you've said, mm. Richard Branson, all these sort of world now entrepreneurs, George news. Soros, and now we've got our own people. Mm. People, Mohammed Duji, if you had walked down the street two years ago and said, who's he? And people wouldn't even know. Yeah. But now people know. People are talking about it. And I think that's a great thing. I think it's all part of this continent coming of age. Mm. And I think business is such an important thing in this continent that um, I think that what we've done in the last six years, only six years since we launched, I think is, is one of the best footprints I've put yeah. down in 36 years i must say that's amazing and now um chris just with regards to you know people getting into the forbes um you know into forbes or just you know them being credible i know that you know you guys are really strict with the lists and how it is yeah. that you go about it but now i don't know how to ask this question in a non-political way mm-hmm. so i'll just ask it so say for example if you've got people who are like presidents of certain countries like robert mugabe who would have mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount of money and we know that they're really rich you know what i mean and say, you know, perhaps Kabila and all of those sort of people. How do you differentiate between who's going to be in? You know what I mean? Is it, does it depend on if it's clean money or dirty money? I don't have okay. another way of describing okay. it. Okay. All right. I know what you're saying. But yeah. what we do, firstly, it's entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. So on the list awesome. and on the cover, it's entrepreneurs mm-hmm. only. And, and I, I, sometimes people ring up and say, Oh, why can't you do this guy? He's a really big CEO. And mm-hmm. I say, look, it's entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I'll say it slowly because. That's what the magazine's about. Mm-hmm. People who've risked their own money, number one. Number two, um, people, we go into their backgrounds. We do check people out carefully, mm. uh, very carefully. We have, avoid anybody who's got a sniff or of uh, scandal mm-hmm. or, I mean, we've had times when we've, we've dropped people because, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a court case or something going. And um, we are very, very careful because we know that you just do one person who becomes a laughing stock. Mm-hmm. Um, one person who who is not right, then you've blown the credibility of the mm. magazine. So essentially, um, that's what we try and do. Political um, affiliations, it's always a difficult one. We, what we try to look at, we say, well, if this person has political affiliations, what are they? Were they an entrepreneur first? Okay. Or they have affiliations second? Because the whole point is, is that, as you know, in this continent, many countries are quite mm-hmm. small. And politicians will sort of find do you. Both, yeah. You're an influential person. They'll... They'll mm. find their way to you whether you like it or not in any country mm. in this, well, in this world, but in this continent especially. Now, the point is, is that what we try to do is try to get people who've made money from the sweat of their brow, yeah. from working hard. That's what we try to do. And once you get those people away from the rest, it, it kills a lot of your problems about corruption mm. and also questions about pol- political connections. Yeah. Um, we don't want. Uh, tenderpreneurs, we want entrepreneurs only. <laughs> I like yeah, I've said it. Yeah. Okay, but that's true. Yeah, you know. Now you you've spoken a bit about um Mo, the you know Muhammad and how his nature, and you've spoken about uh, Dan Gotti and mm. you know just you know how you guys actually managed to get mm. the interview, the woman. Women, yes, yes. we only. Funny enough, Sorry, actually, to, a lot of yeah. people mention that we've got Wendy Applebaum. Yes, she's the only uh, woman there, and um, she did some very good work with Whiphold, you mm-hmm. know, the, the yes. black empowerment company here, investment yeah. company, which I think, again, like Forbes Africa, is a, a footprint Definitely. in uh, in this this world. And um, uh, but again, I almost think there's another book because we've got uh, people like Follow Ronchuala Kija, yes. the billionaire from Nigeria. Well. We've got um, 
uh, we, we've got uh, quite a few people who I think it's almost another I, I mean I think there's a Forbes Africa Billionaires 2 in it mm. with a lot of the people that we haven't done yet yeah. and uh, which I'd be quite keen to do yeah. um, this one's selling quite well uh, I just think there's enough I mean I did 18 people in here and at the end of the day I thought oh have I done enough it's about 60,000 words there's enough people and then I thought well then again having said that you've got to probably might be too much for one book yeah and you've got a better round you can have for a second round so that's a distinct possibility um so that's quite um that that's quite something i mean um i think that uh to me this this money-making story i mean i think it's a it's the story of the 21st century in the world and in this continent particularly i think the government's of Africa have got no money left yeah. to look after people. It's I think true. it's up to people to work and do things. Yeah. And it's not easy. You see, everybody looks at these guys now and say, wow. I, I like, yeah, I like the one quote. I want to be a billionaire tonight. Tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and that's for real. I mean, yes, I that's phoned me up. people like, I want to be a billionaire tonight. You yeah. know, he was, he was, the guy was angry. I mean, yeah. he had his dad. He said, no, you guys got me at 600 million. Yeah. This is Abdul Sal- <laughs> Salamad Rabiu. He's a yeah. cement millionaire, billionaire from, from Nigeria. I met mm. him since actually. He's okay yeah. with us now, but, um, Nice guy, but I mean, he phoned up and said, I've got more than $2 billion at yeah. least. And we said, Well, prove it. Yeah. So he started sending us stuff like jets he owned. He owns like oh. a street in London. Uh, it's $60 million. He owns a street yeah, in London? Oh, in the swankiest part of London. That's he crazy. owns the one and only in Cape Town. He owns the penthouse what? suite there. He owns like millions upon millions of yeah. houses in Joburg. He owns a lot of stuff. And essentially, you know, this guy was the deal. But what we have to do, we send all the valuations to yeah. the wealth unit in the States uh, and they go through it. And they're like the tax people. They won't mm. let you off with anything. Yeah. So and they, the they, IRS is very like... Exactly. And they, they come and they ticket. They say, no, we're not having that. We're not having that. Yeah. I mean, like he said, like he said in his bank account and they said, well, this doesn't mean anything because, yeah. you know, he could have put money in there and taken it out tomorrow. Yeah. And then he said, we had to ask him because it's net worth, you see. So it's debts against what your value is so i had to ask the guy do you know anybody any money and he goes no people owe me money i don't know anybody like oh okay okay sorry sorry and the amount of conversations i had with him walking around my garden in northcliffe at night you know sort of i wouldn't wake the kids you know so walking around and this guy was going nuts in the end he was fed up we we valued him 1.2 billion which isn't too bad and he said no no i'm worth more than two i'm telling you now i said well i'd like i'll be happy with like a million (laughs) but it's a question of a lot of these guys it's ego and And so they do do you you find that they do actually compete with each other to make the list i think so i think there's a lot and and aside from just the forbes lists i mean like there's a lot of you know about who's who who's Mm. got what who flies what jet who drives what car i think there's a bit of um rivalry between them I mean, for instance, uh, the same guy, uh, Rabiu, I mean, we put on the front, could he be the next Aliko Dangote? Because oh that's God. where the toy, and he yeah. was fed up. He was saying, no, how can you say that? You know, I'm me. I'm not anybody's next. I said, well, listen, you're good at selling cement. I'm good at selling yeah. magazines. So, so let's just leave it do. there. You yeah. know, I mean, I have to do what I have to do yeah. to sell the magazine. So, uh, it's, um, it's a very difficult thing. You're dealing with a lot of powerful people and yeah. powerful egos as well. But it is fascinating yeah. watching these guys at close quarters, the way their minds tick and what Definitely. have you. Now, um, Chris, I just think, first of all, I mean, again, I just want to say congratulations on the book. I think what you said is very important and it's amazing that African governments aren't able to take care of their people anymore. So these entrepreneurs are actually so important and vital in terms of being able to show, to ensure that the next generation of young Africans have a chance. So I have got one question for you. Okay. Two, three. I'm a girl, so I could add on. So the one question is, um, how uh, the story? How would you finish the sentence? The story of an African billionaire is. 
story of an African billionaire is one of uh, dexterity, one of um, uh, keeping going in the worst of weather and the worst mm-hmm. of times. It's one of uh, vision. I think the guys see through. The ones who see the wood for the trees mm-hmm. are the ones who get through. Yeah. And I think it's one of courage as well because all these guys, all of them started with virtually nothing. They yeah. all got laughed at at some stage yeah. and the panks laughed them out of their offices. I know those same banks are the ones coming back saying, Saying, hi, bank with us. How are you? (laughs) Exactly. They all got laughed at at some stage and they've all triumphed. I think that, um, yeah, I think courage is the best way to put it. And then Africa's state of mind, what comes to mind when I say that? No, I think Africa's state of mind. I think a lot of people, I mean, you go around young people like yourself. I mean, there's a lot of people coming up with all kinds of ideas and innovations across the continent. And one of the things that I think Forbes Africa brings out is that um, uh, a lot of, Good stuff's going on, on the ground, but it's not getting in the headlines. Yeah. I mean, the headlines are all about unrest and shortages, and the headlines are about economic troubles and international trade, that sort of stuff. And I think a lot of good stuff is going under the surface, mm-hmm. and we're trying to bring it out in Forbes Africa every month. Definitely. So just a real quick sell. Where can people get the book okay. if they're anywhere in the world? If you could just let us know. Okay. Well, exclusive books, in especially s- the one in Santon. They yeah. seem to be selling it hand over fist. Yeah. And I signed some there this morning nice. for the people who want to buy it. Yeah. Um, CNA, you can get it. It's yes. pretty much available. Some of the smaller bookshops, but also uh, online, you can get it on iTunes. Kindle and Amazon and it's launching in the UK in December so it's a great Christmas present if you want it cool thank you so much Chris it's been awesome and like I mean I just think I'm going to like rub off I'm going to take what you said I'll take the blessing 36 years of journalism and the billionaire brush (laughs) 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 a girl can dream thank you so much for spending time with us on Africa State of Mind Africa State of Mind thank you so much to Chris Bishop you were an amazing guest of course and like I said proximity hey proximity (laughs) hopefully like some of that that um, greatness on your life can rub off on my life. Be sure to hit up uh, if you want to get a copy of this book, which I would highly recommend. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on iTunes. And yeah, and if you're in SA, you can get it out at exclusive books like he did say. But just, you know, obviously Google is your best friend. The book, once again, is Africa's Billionaires, Inspirational Stories from the Continent's Wealthiest People. And my guest was Chris Bishop, who is the founding editor of Forbes Africa. Now, on to the second guest um, for today's episode. I actually can't believe like my mind is buzzing because it's just so exciting that we've been able to get such amazing guests. The second guest um, for today is somebody who is a rare combination of, of coming from a family that has contributed to the sound of, of music, not only in their country, but in their continent and in the world. And somebody whose music um, just in general and the family that it comes from has basically set the Standard are uh, part of the pioneers of a, of an amazing uh, musical genre, but this family is also um, a family that has always had something to say politically, always um, been a voice of honesty, and always been unafraid to call out when they see things being wrong. Not for any other reason, but they do believe in speaking out for people who can't speak out for themselves. I said all that to say my second guest on today's episode of Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba is none other than his excellency. I'm sure he would not want me to introduce him like that, but um, is Femi Kuti. 
the things that he says, let me say this slowly again. The things that he says are going to blow your mind. He's going to make you think a little bit different about the way that you see the world. He literally like, you know, since we had this um, interview, my mind has been buzzing. But anyway, enough of me overselling. Let me let you listen for yourself. Femi Kuti, welcome to Africa State of Mind. Hello. Hello. How far, Oga? Hello. 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 <laughs> Hi, Oga Femi. Let's talk a bit about celebration. You know, um, obviously it's an amazing festival and every year everybody talks about it. It's a big part of the calendar. And you've collaborated with a lot of the younger artists like Wizkid, who, who Wizkid is like, I held thee. That's the way he talks about you. And then also you collaborated with Omawumi. How do you decide which artists to collaborate with specifically in Nigeria? Uh, uh, first of all, they asked me, if I really am they are treaty, they have asked me to collaborate with them. Mm-hmm. At celebration, I mean, we all see backstage, mm-hmm. and um, they might ask me then to play a number with them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, if I like the number they're playing, I will just get on stage with them. Yeah. That is just spontaneous. Oh, wow. It really depends. Yeah. Let's also talk about a world record that you recently broke, if I'm not mistaken, where you played the saxophone, you played the, and hold it, you held a note on the saxophone for the longest, which was 51 minutes, 35 seconds and 83 milliseconds. Um, I hope I got those numbers right. So what, what made you want to break this world record? And also I know that there were, t- you made two attempts before, but you were not able to break the world record before that. Yeah, because, um, it's a technique. Mm. Uh, my father, showed me a long time ago he couldn't he could never do it mm. and but he showed me and i managed to get the technique mm. but every time i did the technique especially during social media everybody compared it to well so what energy has a world record but i never thought about it mm. the more i did it the more people compared me and it was getting very aggravating for me <laughs> but i said okay let me attempt it i think the irony there is i thought of attempting it at 55 yeah. So I got to 20 minutes, I got to 30 minutes, and I got to wow. 41 minutes. Wow. The third time, and I said, wow, I can get to this record. So I told my sister, this Sunday I will attempt it. And then everybody came. Luckily, the British High Commission was there. A lot of big knobs were there at the shrine that the press signed the record. But apparently, there was another record of, I think, 48 minutes or so. Mm. And this guy who didn't want to make a big deal out of it because Kennedy was his not Kennedy. I didn't want this record, so it was just Kennedy. And that was, we all woke up in the morning feeling, in the morning feeling that, oh, the record has been broken. And everybody says, sorry, fake news, there's another record. <laughs> And apparently, there's another record set before Kenny G. Wow. But wasn't registered yeah. at 50 minutes. And it was like, how would I get to 50 minutes? This is madness. And the momentum was already there. So I mm. said, well, let me give it a try for one more week. If I can make it, then I will not try anymore because it was taking too much out of me. 
smoke, mm. everybody came saying, you will do it, you will do it. I didn't believe I could do it. So, and then I attempted it and I got to 51 minutes. We broke all the three records. That's amazing. Wow. And that was fantastic. I suffered dearly for it. <laughs> I'm uh, glad I did it. I'm sure so after, never say, uh, I'm sure afterwards you didn't want to even look at your saxophone for a while. After 51 minutes of blowing, you're like, you know what? Let me just go play keyboard. Let me go do something else for a while. It was very energy sapping. I couldn't feel my lips for like a week and a half or so. Uh-uh. My lips were very numb. So I'm happy I did it. And now it's about the beauty of the technique, mm. how it enhances creativity and how it makes people feel. Because it's supposed to make the audience feel good. Mm. So now I can focus on that when I do the technique. It's not about the duration anymore. Yeah. It's about making the be- music beautiful and enhancing gr- the creativity for the audience. Yeah. Now, um, Femi, I wanted to know, you know, at this day and age, when it comes to music and music sales and everything, and even just touring, a lot of artists are not doing so well, but you're somebody who's still being called to do tours around the world, and you're still doing generally well, you know, at a time when the music industry is probably suffering at the most. What advice would you give to people who, who are in the music industry to make sure that they get the best of what it is that they can in terms of their creativity and their art? I don't think it's just music software. I think it's just a global, there's global confusion in how to move the world forward. Too many wars, refugee crises, so many things are happening and very depressing times we had. So I think um, concerning music, if you don't do music well, of course you are going to have problems. It's like if a quack doctor, yeah. if you don't study and go as far as possible learning medicine, You'll just be one of those doctors and nobody will come to you for treatment. Mm. Everybody wants the best. I always urge young people especially to pick up an instrument because like everything in life, mm. there are good times and bad times. And when the bad times come, you have your instrument to console you and you go back to your instrument mm. for inspiration. You go back to your instrument means probably you haven't done enough to be wanted and you need to go back to practice and bring out something new that people will appreciate. Secondly, and probably most importantly, one should not go into music because you want fame, Mm. fortune, and things like this. You need to put yourself in a position where you understand that you have a gift, that higher forces are using you as a medium to inspire other people. Mm. So it's never about you. It's about your audience. Mm. It's about how people come to watch when they are sad, depressed, Mm. when they want to be loved. I mean, music... It's the only profession that touches you. You don't touch music. Wow. You can touch the musical instrument, but you can't touch music itself. Mm. So the sound touches you. It, mm. is, it makes you cry. I mean, the news needs music. Everybody needs music. The way we walk, the way we talk, the way we eat, the way we drink, the, make, the way we make love. It's all musical. Rhythms are musical. The atmosphere, the cosmic order, it's all music. And you have to understand this as a musician. Mm. So it's never about you. And when you put yourself in the forefront of it, you you don't last. You probably have one, two, three hits, and by the time you are my age, you become you have nothing else to offer because what you did was capitalize on mm. the material wealth of music, mm, and sure. you shouldn't. So I believe if you do it properly, you probably will not be rich, but I don't think you will suffer. Mm, I like that. You will always find a way out because music will give you the intelligence of what ne- what step to take next to put food on the table mm. uh, or whatever. And I think for somebody like me, I'm not rich like that, but 
I mean, I can feed my house. I have the shrine. Mm-hmm. I mean, like when I build the shrine, the idea came, look, you have this money, build the shrine. Nobody knew the shrine would be this magnificent in 17 years. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew the celebration would be this big in 17 years. Mm-hmm. But when we built it, I remember building the shrine. Everybody was, oh, it's too far. Oh, look, it's too far from even 10 minutes away. It, it was in a very remote area. Yeah. A lot of forests around the place. No buildings. And everybody was so scared because it was dark. Now it's center of Ikeja in Lagos. Everybody, yeah, everybody's profiting from this right now. Mm. Yeah. It, it, probably, uh, they say, is the most um, talked about place in Lagos State right now. It is, yeah. And, at the beginning, I mean, with the police raids, everybody tried to discourage us at the beginning. Mm-hmm. For a good eight years, it was impossible to manage the place. I mean, talks were sent there to destabilize what we were doing. Political talks came there. The police were there. I mean, it was hell. Mm-hmm. But now, we found a way. And like I said, when you are true to what you are doing, I think life has a way of protecting you and guiding you. Mm-hmm. And you do survive. You do survive. But when you are there to be a capitalist and opportunist, of course, after a while, your secret comes out and then it's the end of the dream. Yeah. Um, Femi, if I could just jump in there, you know, you've said so many um, powerful things. I really love the way you just describe the role that music has and how music is more, uh, basically, it's about serving other people versus serving yourself, you know. And when we look at it, we can also look at it in terms of um, leadership, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And, like you know, like you mentioned before, earlier on about how just the world is just so confused. Nobody knows what next, how next, where next. Politically, where do you feel that we are sitting in terms of Africa and in terms of leadership? You know, where do you feel that we're sitting in comparison to the rest of the world in terms of leadership? I think, first of all, Africa has to appreciate its past. Mm. And until we accept this past and appreciate it, then we'll just keep on talking a lot of garbage to ourselves and blaming ourselves. And and that's what I hear and see. Mm. I hear things like, oh, get over the slave trade stupid talk like this. You never hear the Jews say, get over the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and move forward. It's a very important part of our history mm. that destabilized the continent. First, you have the trans-Sahara slave trade. You have the trans-Atlantic slave trade. Africa has been in mm. so much pandemonial chaos that we take all this history for granted. And if we go to the recent Atlantic slave trade, you read books like where we, we read the colonial masters. We even colonize ourselves by saying people who came, raped our women, murdered our people, mm-hmm. we write our books and say the colonial masters. Things like this should be immediately eradicated from our textbooks. We should say it as it was. These people came to rape our continent. They killed our people, they raped our women and took us. We were never, and they, you see, they came and took us as slaves. We were never slaves. They, they met kingdoms and empires mm. on this continent. They met civilization. So how, when we, we have to rewrite these history books and tell the truth to ourselves. And then when you understand 500 years of slavery, 100 years of colonial rule, 60, 70 years of bad African puppet governments, mm. you cannot expect Africa to be any better. <laughs> and when you understand this history, it probably will take us another 100 years to get out mm. and start to find the way forward for this continent. But we 
first have to understand this history. That's why history is very important. Mm. And when, and but I, I, I was very pessimistic before. Now, with my children, I see life in a completely different way. Mm. I see a lot of hope. I think um, I see things like if there wasn't Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, my father, Patrice Lumumba, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, people like this, then probably people like me would be naive. Mm. And probably the struggle would be starting from somebody like me. But because of the past of all these great people, and many names I don't even know, many people who fought that we never probably will ever hear about their names, who fought slavery, who fought and died in the sea, the, who protested. There are so many names that we don't know. And until this history is taught to us properly, and we appreciate this history, we'll be in, in confusion in the mind. And this is the role of leadership. Governments should insist mm. on this. We have to understand our countries are colonial structures. We have to understand that we have to speak with one voice. Mm. We have to go to the UN with one voice. And oh, we have to open it. our body. We have to even understand that African brothers and sisters in the diaspora are, they have a right to the oil and the diamonds because it's not their fault they were taken there. Mm -hmm. As we must be fighting for them because they built Europe and America, we have to be sure. their voice as well that, no, we can't let them, as much as they are fighting for their rights here, we have to fight for their rights there because mm -hmm. our ancestors built America and Europe as well. Sure. You hardly watch a war movie where it tells you Africa's contribution to the First World War, Second World War, or all the internal wars when they use Africans to fight their wars for them. Or even it's just in recent history, history you hear um, America now confessing that Africans took part in their civil war. And it was because of Africans that the civil war was even won in many respects. Mm -hmm. So you see, when you see the contribution of Africa, in world development, we have done very well. Mm. And until we understand this, in the, individually we always excel. Collectively, where and that's where Europe and America have always put a lead for us not to understand leadership. We always fail. But then how come the African excels individually? And when we can put all this into perspective and put it all into one um, one um, sitting where we all understand what leadership should be and put all these, um, all Africa's achievements, for instance, for us to see, then African governments can use this as a thesis to, for um, historical facts and understand leadership and bringing us together as one people that when I come to South Africa, as a British citizen, I will come into South Africa for three months. You give mm. me a visa for three months with my British passport. But as a Nigerian, I have to queue for months. Mm. <laughs> I should be able to walk into South Africa as I wish. We should be able, I should be able to, there should be a railway. We should be building Africa. There should be a railway line from Lagos to Nairobi, Johannesburg, mm. like we see from France to anywhere in Europe mm. or anywhere, Houston to Miami or wherever. You can take the train everywhere. We should be building first-class international airports, not like um, the airports we see all over Africa <laughs> that are all breaking down. I, probably, I think the only good airport that you see is the one in South Africa. And it's a shame. So we should be thinking inwards, not outwards. But all this has to do with leadership. Until leadership, all our governments look up to Europe and America, the answer to Europe and America. They are so... Uh, when they're invited to any European country, they are so um, respectful 
that oh my lord oh I've been invited and then <laughs> they use it as they use it as um, a a way to oppress their own people because probably mm-hmm. the queen invited them or they saw the queen or the prime minister of England as if that's a big deal. <laughs> so what? You see, we like I said, we should be thinking inwards. And it's like the body. Africa should be looked upon as your body. Mm. If you are sick, then if you don't have good health, how do you, how do you live your, a, a good life? <laughs> and right now, Africa is sick. And we need to make Africa better. We have to give Africa the right medicine to make Africa better. We should be thinking about our children. We should be thinking about good education and good... Um, like the president of Nigeria goes to, you, to England for over nearly three months. And then all the hospitals in Nigeria don't work. He comes back and he's, hmm. even if he goes to treat himself in Europe, then his priority when he comes back is at least let me get one hospital working to international. Niger- exactly. In Nigeria. Hmm. Nobody has said anything about this. People die here because of 10,000 naira. They don't have 10,000 naira hmm. for drugs to treat themselves. I mean, so many we could go on and on that where that and see that so many things are wrong. But having said this, if we don't understand that past, we will not understand why we are like this and why we think the way we think. Lastly, I'm talking to you in English. We can't even talk to ourselves in an African language. An African language should be priority. Now the fact is, what has colonization done to us? (laughs) It took us, it took our spirit, our soul away from us. So most of us talk in Portuguese, think in Portuguese, French or English. We don't think, think in our language. And then when we meet Africans that think and dream in their languages, we call them illiterates. We make fun of them. <laughs> but they are the real people. They are the people that should be respected. They should be the leaders because they still have their souls. Those of us that dream, think, and eat, sleep, everything, make love in English, we are the ones that have a big problem. So we are the ones still suffering from colonialism and slavery. <laughs> and until we recognize that we are the problem, Sure. We always had that problem because what they did was they took our soul from us. They took mm. Africa away from us. They took our spirits from us. And it's what they did really is unforgivable. And we have to understand that fact. It's why I said, I use the Jews as an example. You can't even crack a good Jewish joke. You can't crack a joke <laughs> concerning the... Don't, don't talk. You will mention it. They will You're finished. You yeah. Be, yeah fin- you know, we all know this. Yeah. But then we we fight for Europe and America when we talk about the slave trade. Hmm. We fight for them. We say you say oh, but the, they say oh, they say get over it. Get over what? Get over five hundred years of oppression? How? Hmm. The atrocities that were committed on this continent are unforgivable, and Europe knows it. They know this history. That's why they never want to talk about it. Hmm. For five hundred years, you talk about the Holocaust of six years. Oh, that. But because you. Because there is footage of that, nobody will rest. And there is no, the footage of, this, of slavery is at the latter period when you had where the Ku Klux Klan was operating or pictures or photographs of black men or women being hung or, and things like this. But this was even mild compared, compared to, to what happened in Africa. What they did. Mm. And if we did know, we'll be weeping. We'll not <laughs> stop crying at the crimes that were committed here. So we are not. We are not going. We should not get over it. We want it should be in the forefront, forefront of all our thinking and our, our thoughts.
Ogafemi, I couldn't have said it better myself. I don't even want to add anything else. Just thank you so much for your time. Like you have spoken truth upon truth upon truth upon truth. You know, honestly speaking. So thank you very much for your time and thank you for just sharing that with with everybody. It's amazing. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Bye. Africa State of Mind. Thank you so much to both of the guests for being part of today's episode. Uh, Chris Bishop and Femi Kuti. It's been a great, great honor. And thank you once again to everybody who has been supporting the podcast. This is episode four of Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Be sure to go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. Also hit me up on Twitter at Lee, L-E-E-K-A-S-U-M-B-A. And also follow the Africa State of Mind Twitter handle, which is Africa State Mind. Also join the family on Facebook, Africa State of Mind um, Facebook account as well. And be sure to just say whatever it is that you want to say. Um, if you have any ideas on people that you'd want us to interview or stories you want us to cover, it may be us putting it together, but it's really all about you. So yeah, man, let's make this all about all of us together, shall we? Catch your next week's episode of Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba, episode five. Five is like a great number. You'll see exactly why. Catch you next week. Thanks.